Hi guys, and welcome back to another True Crime and Makeup Time video. So we're always talking about crimes that happen senselessly, murders that take place for no reason. But what's worse, a murder by a stranger or by someone you know? What if you were killed for your race? What if your entire family was? So think back to when you were younger and you lived with your family and you spend the day out with your friends and you come home pretty late. And your house is dark and eerily quiet. You open the door and there is blood everywhere. On the wall is a message from the killer. I wanted to pop in and thank today's sponsor, Galaxy Lamps. Have you guys ever dreamt of sleeping under the night sky? This Halloween, dive into the mystic vibes with the Galaxy Projector. The Galaxy Projector isn't just another light. It turns your space into a different world. And guess what, guys? It's on sale right now. It's also a smart lamp. So let's talk about some of its features. The color ranges from a ghoulish green to phantom purples. You can control its brightness, its rotation, and more. Your phone controls all the magic and with its app, you can customize everything and make it truly yours. If you have Alexa or Google Assistant, it's like they're under your spell. Just say the word and the Galaxy Projector obeys. You can change the settings, turn it on or off without lifting a finger. It's like magic. So all my tech witches and wizards, this is your stuff. The Galaxy Projector merges LED lighting with starry night skies and it's on sale now. So click the link below to check it out. And just in case you missed the sale, use my code ZARAV for 15% off. Thank you so much to Galaxy Lamps for sponsoring today's video and let's get back into it. So let's just jump in and I'm sure you can already tell I have my eye base on because I'm an idiot and I started putting on my makeup before I even started filming because I have issues and memory issues. So we're talking about the Gonzalez family today, a family that was extremely loving and close. They were a prominent family in the town of Baguio in the Philippines. Teodoro, known as Teddy Gonzalez, he was the patriarch in the family and originally from the northern Philippines. And he came from a poor family. Because of this, he always wanted to be successful. So he really dedicated himself to his studies. In 1978, he married his wife, Mary Louisa, and two years later, in 1980, his son, Seth, was born. And two years after that, they had a daughter named Claudine. Teddy worked really hard for his family. And because of this, he was able to build and manage and run his own successful hotel. Not only did he work at this hotel, but his family also lived at this hotel. In July 1990, a massive earthquake hit the town of Baguio in the Philippines. At the time, Teddy was running this hotel and when the earthquake struck, everyone managed to make it out of the hotel safe, except his 10-year-old son, Seth. As Seth was trying to escape, he got stuck in a stairway when rubble trapped his foot. And Teddy, he makes it outside of the hotel with the rest of his family and he hears screams coming from inside the hotel, someone yelling, Papa, Papa. It was his son. Without any hesitation, Teddy ran back to the hotel, squeezed himself through a crack in the building, and managed to pull his son, Seth, to safety. Even though they were safe, 
Teddy did suffer chronic pain following this incident because he tore a ligament in his foot. The earthquake killed about a thousand people and destroyed the Gonzalez family hotel. Following this tragedy, the Gonzalez family lost their biggest source of income. So Mary convinced Teddy to move the family to Australia to start a new life. They already had relatives in Australia and moving to Australia and being able to start this new life restored Teddy's religious faith, something that he almost lost when the earthquake hit and he lost everything. The Gonzalez family were devout Catholics. They regularly attended church. They were strict, but they were loving with their family and they were wealthy due to Teddy and Mary's hard work. Teddy was an immigration lawyer and a successful businessman. I mean, he was able to, you know, build and run his own hotel in the Philippines. So no doubt he was also going to be successful in Australia. And when he moved here, Teddy pursued law and he uh, practiced in the field of conveyancing as well as specialized in immigration law. Mary was a devoted wife to Teddy, incredibly hardworking. She was a loving mother and she was responsible for keeping her family organized and in check. Their son, Seth, was sweet and quiet and their daughter, Claudine, was kind and caring and she always was concerned about the well-being of others. In December 2000, after years of hard work, Teddy and Mary purchased a new family home. They moved into a beautiful home in North Ryde in Sydney and Teddy and Mary then set up their own law firm where Teddy worked as a solicitor lawyer and Mary worked as the office manager slash secretary, which let me tell you is not easy. This is exactly what my family did when we moved here to Australia. My mom would help my dad with his firm and then she eventually you know, moved on to another job. But me and my brothers, we began working for my dad like straight away. And honestly, it is so much work. I remember some cases were so full on, like I was in high school and me and my brothers would be helping my dad till like 2 a.m., 4 a.m. because there was like piles of documents like this big and running your own law firm, especially at the start. Oh my God, no, no, thank you. It's really hard. Teddy and Mary clearly had strong work ethic and they knew what hard work was and they worked really hard and they were hoping to instill the same principles into their kids. They had high hopes for their kids, hoping they would be successful too. When the kids were growing up, Seth worked part-time at the law firm and his sister, Claudine, being a couple years younger than him, she was actually sent to Melbourne to finish high school because she had begun dating this boy that her parents did not approve of and they didn't approve of him allegedly because he didn't have a steady job and she was also in high school. So they sent her to Melbourne to finish high school there. And Seth really never did that well in school. He always got super average grades and his parents weren't happy, you know, about this, but they did push him to do better. If you haven't seen the Jennifer Pan case that I did probably a couple years ago now, we've talked about tiger parenting and tiger parents in that video, but this case is pretty similar. They, they were, they were tiger parents. And if you don't know what a tiger parent is, it's basically parents who are highly invested in ensuring their children are successful. They're usually quite controlling about every move 
their children make. These kids not only have to be high achieving in academics, but also in like sports and music. Most people would say it's Asia that has all the, you know, tiger parents, but it also extends to Latin America, Africa, and Eastern Europe. In 2001, they were living in that new house in Collins Street, North Ride, and it was a nice, really comfortable middle-class suburb. Teddy was 46 years old at the time, and he had this well-established law firm that Mary and him had worked so hard for, and they wanted their kids to be the same and be as successful as them. This was important now as their kids were coming into adulthood. Seth was 20 and Claudine was nearly 18. However, as some of you can imagine, if you've grown up with parents like this, it's not easy growing up with parents who have such high expectations of you, especially if you aren't even interested in the life that they have planned for you. Given that Seth was the oldest, his parents wanted him to pursue career fields that most tiger parents kind of want you to pursue, a, you know, a doctor or a lawyer. But Seth was more interested in singing and dancing. And if you know any Filipinos, they can all sing and they can all dance. I was discussing this case with some of my Filipino friends and they were like, this is so rare for Filipino parents to not at least be interested or happy that their kids are in the entertainment side of things. So clearly Seth's parents were just a little bit stricter than usual. But despite being strict, they gave their kids a really good life. They were definitely privileged. They lived in a beautiful home, safe suburb. They went to good schools and Seth had the privilege of getting a car once he once he got his permit. And he was freely allowed to use this car. So there were some perks. Seth, of course, followed his parents' wishes and he enrolled in and studied medical science at the University of New South Wales. But after two years, he withdrew because it just wasn't for him. He then enrolled in an arts slash law course at the University of Macquarie. And his parents were happy about this because they were like, okay, fine, he can follow in his father's footsteps. He can take over the family business and hopefully his sister does the same and they can all just be one big happy family business. On 10th July 2001, it was a Tuesday and it started off like any other day. Teddy and Mary both went to work at the firm in the morning and they both took separate cars as they usually did. Claudine was also in Sydney at the time as it was school holidays and she was due to return back to Melbourne for the next semester in a couple days. Claudine spent the day just at home studying and Seth went to uni that morning. After Seth went to uni, he popped into the family law firm because they needed some help with like some computer issues. So he went to the law firm to help his parents with his computer issues. And then later on, Seth had his own plans to go out with his friend, because it was his friend's birthday. His friend's name was Sam and he planned to take Sam out to dinner to celebrate. So at around 8 p.m. he gets to Sam's house, they drive into the city, they go to Planet Hollywood for dinner and then they go to a video game arcade. At around 11 p.m. Seth and Sam are done. So Seth drives Sam home and then he makes his way home. It was close to midnight when Seth arrived home and although it was a work school night, work night, he just found the house to be extremely quiet. As he walked into the house, he sees blood everywhere and he sees his parents' dead bodies in the living room. He didn't know where his sister was. 
on the white walls of this religious family's home. Spray painted blue in huge writing was the phrase fuck off Asians KKK. For all Seth knew, the killers were still in the house. At 11.48 p.m., Seth calls triple zero. He is frantic. He's telling the operator, someone shot my parents and I can't find my sister. And he's yelling. He's so upset. And he says there's blood everywhere. Seth then runs to the neighbor's house, John, and he's yelling at him that his parents had been shot. He was banging on the door, screaming and crying, crying for help. Another neighbor, Shane Hanley, heard the commotion and he comes outside to see what's going on. They find Seth out of breath. He's screaming and frantic, stating that his family had been shot. He tells the neighbors that the killers had fled the scene. He had initially seen um, a couple of men and he ran after them, but he quickly lost sight of them. Shane was trying to console Seth, but then suddenly Seth was like, oh my God, CPR. And then he like runs back into the house to perform CPR on his parents. Seth was desperate, but Shane had joined him back at the house at this point. And Shane took one look and he knew it was too late. John had called the police too at this point and together with Shane, they lead Seth out of the house. Without knowing how many victims they were gonna find, what really happened, if the killers were still even there, the police and the paramedics entered the house super cautiously. When they took a closer look, none of the victims had been shot like Seth initially thought. In the entrance hall, his father, Teddy, lay there in a pool of his own blood and he had suffered from multiple stab wounds. In the living room was his mother and her throat had been cut. The police then make it upstairs and when they do, they found Seth's sister, Claudine. She was still in her bedroom, covered in blood, and there was blood spatter all over the wall next to her. When they first found her, her face had been covered with a red nightgown. The next day, Seth goes to the police station to tell the police exactly what happened when he came home that night. He said he went to uni and then he went to the law firm to help his parents with that computer issue. And at this point, his mom had already gone home. So after that, he goes home, but he tried to call his mom at home, but she wasn't picking up the phone. So when Seth got home in his car, it was raining at the time. So he was kind of like wasting time in his car a little bit, waiting for the rain to stop before he went inside home. But as he was waiting in the car, he was like, oh, I'm just going to go to my friend's house because his Friend had recently bought a new home and it was about 30 minutes away. So he drives to this friend's area and he's driving around the area and he can't find the address because he didn't have it with him. And then he also didn't have this friend's number with him to give him a call and be like, hey, where's your address? So then he looks at the time and he's like, oh, I have to go get Sam anyway. So he drives to Sam's house where he picks him up at around 8 p.m. At this point, there were no concrete clues and Evidence was already beginning to contradict itself. So police already knew this was going to be a difficult case to solve. In the days following the murder, Seth was convinced that this was a targeted attack. So he went to the media asking the killers to come forward 
or anyone with any information, and he would offer them a reward of a hundred thousand dollars. Seth made a statement. He said, three corners of my world are now gone. The best way I could possibly describe my father is that he was a hero and my role model. My mother was the heart of the family. She was the heart of her friends and anyone who knew her. My sister was the life in the family. She was an expert in smiling and made us all believe that life should be taken lightly. He went on to say that when it was time for him to settle down and have a family of his own, he was going to name his son after his father. On 20th July 2001, the family was laid to rest at their joint funeral. At the funeral, Seth talked about his family and he even performed an acapella rendition of the song One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boyz II Men. And friends and family that had flown down from the Philippines to lay this family to rest were so emotional. Everyone was so sad that this family was just destroyed. For what? During Seth's eulogy, he talked about his father and how his father had richness in his eyes and how Seth would never know the meaning of his own name because his father promised to tell him at his 21st birthday. Some people found Seth's behavior bizarre at the funeral and I don't really understand why because people, different people grieve differently, right? And his rendition of One Sweet Day was not very good, but do we expect it to be? His entire family was killed. Sorry, I never told you. All I wanted to say And I know eventually we'll be together One sweet day The police quickly launched an investigation into the case because they believed it was possibly a hate crime because of that message that was left on the wall. But investigators did determine that it was kind of inconsistent with other similar cases they had seen. A robbery gone wrong was also suspected, but nothing of value was missing. There were no signs of forced entry in the house and Seth thought he saw someone, right? And most robbers don't hang around that long, especially because it was determined that the killings took place within a three hour period. As the investigation went on, it was determined that the murder weapon actually came from inside the family home. They had a knife block in the kitchen and two knives were missing from that knife block. And police actually went and found that exact same knife block. They found the two missing knives and they compared it to the wounds on the family's bodies and they matched. The media also went wild with this case because they just couldn't believe this type of a crime could be committed in this type of neighborhood. Rumors began circulating about this intensely violent hate crime that the writings on the wall literally told them to F off due to their race. Seth had also told the police when he was questioned that a few days earlier they were driving, the, the whole family was driving together and another car pulled up next to them and yelled at them and said, bloody Asians. So Seth really felt like his family was being targeted because of their race. Another theory was that Teddy, he was a lawyer, right? So he most likely had some enemies and he actually came into Australia as a refugee, but in the past 
he had helped other Filipino refugees lie on court documents. And he actually went to court for this and he was cleared of these charges. But there were a bunch of other incidents that took place. And for sure, as a lawyer, you you face issues. You have clients who are angry with the outcomes of their cases or you know, your clients, partners or something like that. And he had failed deals in the Philippines. And Seth also told police that Teddy had received a bunch of threats in the past, which to be honest, is common as a lawyer. But whether someone would actually kill Teddy and his entire family because of a deal gone wrong seemed excessive to the police. So a year passes by and nothing happens. No new leads, new evidence, nothing. But then police decide to take a closer look at Seth and they had been suspicious of Seth from the very beginning and this was a this was due to a number of things. First, Seth didn't seem genuinely emotional about his family's death. Police along with the neighbors noticed that at the crime scene, Seth was bawling, but there were no actual tears coming out. When talking about the murders, he was very clear in what he was saying. He was very factual about the timeline of events. It's like he was making sure what he was saying was coming out correctly. He showed no signs of distress and never described how he was feeling to the authorities. In a soft voice, he just described what he saw at the crime scene and how he found the bodies. And he was strangely calm in all of this. Then he told police that he performed CPR on his parents when he ran back in from the neighbors. Remember he said CPR and he performed CPR on his parents, but there was barely any blood on him. There was some on the soles of his um, shoes and also a little bit on his pants, but nothing else. If he had perform CPR on his parents, given the amount of blood that was there, he would have been soaked. Then, just three days after his entire family was killed, Seth goes to the family accountant and asks about the size of his inheritance. Police found out he went to a Lexus dealership and he put a down payment on a $173,000 car And he tells the dealership that he's going to come back and pay the rest with his inheritance. He also pawned his uh, mom's jewelry. Then he moved into a fancy new apartment and he put out an ad to sell his parents' car, cars, without even asking his grandparents for permission. Then he harassed his family in the Philippines to send him money. And from what I gather, I believe his grandparents were in the Philippines, so... They were handling maybe the finances. I don't know, because he was still young. I mean, he was 20, but he was still young. And in order to get money from them, he told them that he had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. He tells them, I need, you know, to have surgery immediately and you need to give me $190,000. And that I don't understand because his family, like, they had money, but unless they sold the house and stuff, where was Seth thinking this money is coming from? Maybe it was the life insurance. Seth was driving his mom's sports car all around the city and he had also like souped it up. He put on new tires, skirts and added all those like racing accessories to make it like a full on racing car. To the police, a young man 
who had brutally lost his entire family, this was strange to them. And it led them to believe that their killer was right in front of them the entire time. Because of this, the family's multi-million dollar estate was frozen, meaning that Seth could not touch a cent of it. He was also unable to claim victim's compensation. I read online that sources say he was due to inherit $10 million, but then I also read that it was the Sydney home, which was 1.5 million. Then it was another home in the Philippines, which was like 1.3 million, which makes that what, like $3 million totally. But then take into account their savings, possibly life insurance. It could be 10 million, especially if, you know, his father was a lawyer, maybe. But I would think it's at least, you know, totally 3 million. When Seth was questioned, he denied any involvement in the murder of his family. He stuck to his original story, but the timings were off. At around 6 p.m., he stated he had returned home and he was sitting in his own car in um, the carport waiting for the rain to stop. But at that exact same time, his mother's sister, so his aunt Emily, dropped by the house with her son and they came up to the front door and they knocked, but no one answered. And she remembers seeing Seth's car in the driveway, but nobody was inside his car. And she remembers this because Seth had a very distinct car. He had like a green car with Seth on the number plate. But what she does remember is that when she went up and knocked on the door, they had like these glass panels on either side. So when she looked through this glass panel, she thought she saw a figure standing there with like a jacket and and a hat. And she was like, oh, someone's there. And then her son was like, no, mom, that's the coat rack. Like it's a coat rack with a coat on it and a hat. And um, it's it's not a person. And she decided to go around the side to look anyway. And as she was walking down the side, she just got this weird feeling and she's like, let's just leave. So then she just left with her son. Then again, around that time, another visitor dropped by. It was a client of Teddy's and he was stopping by to put some documents in his mailbox. And he too saw Seth's car parked in the driveway with nobody inside. Then Seth changed his story. He said he actually left his car at home. He parked his car at home. And he had taken a taxi to a brothel in Chatswood. He said after he visited this brothel, he then went back home, picked up his car, and then went to his friend Sam's house. And at this point, the police are finding it hard to believe his story. Then on 2nd June 2002, police receive a call regarding an assault. And they go to the location Um, that the call was made from and they find Seth laying there on the ground with minor facial injuries. He claimed that he was on his way to a video store when he was attacked and dragged into a car. He claims that a plastic bag was then put over his head but he managed to escape and police believe that this was a lie and that this lie was created to further drive the hate crime narrative, motive. Then everything unraveled for Seth. Police are now pushing him. They want to know what happened. And Seth now says this brothel story is the real story. And he did. He went, he grabbed a taxi and he went um, to this brothel where he 
wanted to have sex with a sex worker and he was too embarrassed to tell them the, the truth before and you know this is making him look bad when police investigated this they found this to be a lie as the sex worker wasn't even working that day and the taxi driver came forward saying that Seth had paid him $50 to lie about taking him to the brothel. Seth had a sweet and innocent face, but his life was controlled by his close-knit family. His devout Catholic family, his strict upbringing, it was all starting to take a toll on Seth. The tension in his family escalated a few months before the murders because his parents had threatened to disown him. He was also about to be expelled from his second university due to failing grades. If his parents found out, this would devastate them as they believed their son was going to take over this family business. Seth kind of alluded to his own motive when talking to his godfather a few days following the murder about his mindset, you know, that night, he made a statement to his godfather saying, basically my life went upside down. I feel I'm trapped and I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm getting deeper and deeper as if I could not stop this momentum. Whichever child did well at school would be praised and the other would be dismissed. It was always a contest between Claudine and Seth and Seth was finding it harder and harder to get his parents' approval, and he was desperate for his parents' approval. Now, even though Seth was desperate for his parents' approval, he really didn't work that hard to get it. Although I do acknowledge that if these allegations are true, his parents, you know, were hard on him. He often failed to hand in assignments and missed his exam dates, and he gave a bunch of medical certificates to all his teachers, claiming he had been so sick and That is why he needed more time with his exams. He was afraid to tell his parents. And at one point, he created a fake academic transcript and he offered to make one for Claudine so she could also, you know, show show her parents. But she refused and she told her parents. When his parents found out, they were obviously pissed and they threatened him that they would take his car away if he didn't get himself together. He also got into a fight with his parents about this alleged girlfriend and his parents threatened to disinherit him if he continued on with this relationship. Seth had also allegedly been a bedwetter from an early age and he was still, you know, allegedly wetting the bed. And it was also his sister who told his parents that he was still wetting the bed. And this is believed to have been a motive of his against his sister because he was so humiliated and ashamed and the pressure to please his parents was just too high. Seth was not a good student and would most likely never become the doctor and lawyer that his parents so desperately wanted. His parents were threatening to take away his car and other privileges and they even made Seth take a bus to uni, the audacity of his family. So please believe Seth killed his family because he wanted the inheritance all to himself. Then investigators find out that this was not Seth's first attempt 
at murdering his family. Seth's initial plan was to poison his family. They found Seth had been researching poisonous plants in his internet search history, as well as a container in his bedroom that held some plant poison. It was these poisonous seeds, and he had allegedly slipped some of these seeds inside his mom's food. And this made his mom extremely sick. She was even admitted to the hospital with food poisoning. However, she was released the next day. Many describe Seth as a narcissist and a compulsive liar, that he did not mind stretching the truth to impress other people. He was known to live in an imaginary world where he was a businessman, a model, a singer, and famous and adored by everyone. He even went as far to tell all his friends that he was diagnosed with cancer. There was a fan page dedicated to Seth. I don't know what what for, but later on it was found out that he created this fan page himself and dedicated it to himself. He told a sex worker that he was so good in bed that she was going to enjoy it so much that he didn't need to pay her for it. He even told some friends that his rendition of One Sweet Day that he sang at his parents' funeral was so good that after this, music execs came up to him and offered him a record deal. One Sweet Day. Now you really know this guy's got issues. So what really happened that day? On 13th June 2002, Seth was arrested and charged with three counts of murder and one count of product contamination. Police believe that on 10th July 2001, Seth left his parents' law firm enraged after having a meeting with his parents regarding his grades. He drives home pissed. It is believed that about 4.30 p.m., Seth enters his sister Claudine's bedroom where she was studying and he's armed with a baseball bat and two kitchen knives. He must have just been fuming, wanted to take it out on someone who he believed was to blame, and evidence showed that he compressed his sister's neck, tried to strangle her, and struck her at least six separate times to the head with this baseball bat and stabbed her just as many times with one or both of the knives. He inflicted five major stab wounds to her neck and two major stab wounds to her chest and abdomen. The cause of Claudine's death was the combined effect of the compression of her neck, the blunt force head injuries, and the abdominal stab wounds. He then took her red nightgown and threw it over her face to hide the brutality of her attack and the injuries. Mary, his mother is then believed to have arrived home at about 5.30 p.m. And Seth is believed to have attacked her as soon as she entered the front door. He attacked her with one of the kitchen knives in the living dining room area, and he inflicted multiple stab wounds and cuts to her face, neck, chest, and abdomen, and her windpipe was completely cut in the attack. His own mom... After this, he emptied her handbag onto the floor to make it look like, you know, like a attempted robbery because there was blood under the contents of the handbag. So it was proven that that was done after she was killed. 
It's believed that when Emily peered through the glass and saw that figure, it was actually Seth standing there waiting and he just stood eerily still. I mean, imagine if she walked in, would she be the next victim? At 6.50 p.m., an hour and 20 minutes later, the garage door opened and Teddy was now home. He enters the main front door with his house keys and his car keys and his workbook in his hand. And he never even got past the entrance hall because he too was immediately attacked by Seth. Seth inflicted multiple stab wounds to his neck, chest, back, and abdomen. And one of the uh, stab wounds penetrated his right lung, another penetrated his heart, and another partially severed his spinal cord. Whenever I read about these autopsy results, I'm like, how brutal was the attack, you know, to do that to a human body? Police believe that after Seth attacked Claudine, he felt like he had to kill his parents to make it just look like a robbery gone wrong. After taking a shower and changing into clean clothes, Seth then takes a blue can of spray paint and he writes that racist message on the wall himself. To simulate an intrusion that an intruder actually broke into the house, he goes to the kitchen and he pulls off like the fly screen, like the mesh netting and leaves it on the ground um, next to it. And then he takes his dirty clothes, his, his bloody clothes, his bloody shoes, the spray, uh, spray paint can and puts it in a garbage bag and then he like drives off in his car and he disposes of it. Now, was there actually any evidence pointing to Seth? I mean, we know he had motive, but was there any evidence? Well, yeah, a lot because the dummy allegedly spray painted this racist message on the wall after he took, you know, his shower and changed his clothes. So on his sleeve, there was actually like a bit of blue spray paint found on it. And this paint matched the same paint on the walls. Also at the scene of the crime, they found bloody shoe prints, but these bloody shoe prints didn't belong to anyone in the home. They didn't match anyone. But then they found an empty shoe box inside Seth's closet. These shoes would have matched the bloody shoe print, but the actual shoes were missing. So when they asked Seth, what happened to these shoes? These shoes right here, where are they? He's like, oh, no, no, these shoes, like my dad bought them for a relative in the Philippines. Like we've given it to them. But that was believed to have been a lie. And this shows that he walked in the blood at the crime scene with those shoes because those were not the shoes he had on when the police came. Then the fact that the murder weapon came from inside the home shows that it probably wasn't a racist planned attack because attackers, if they were planning to attack you, would have come prepared with weapons. Also, nothing was stolen and they had plenty to steal. So how is this a robbery gone wrong? Everything was proven to have been staged after the murders were already committed. He also claimed that he performed CPR on his family. But like I said before, there was barely any blood on him. So what he claims happened is, you know, it was raining at the time. So when he, you know, was in shock and he was outside, he placed his hands in the grass. He like rubbed his the blood off in the grass and yeah, it, the rain washed it off. Then when Seth was driving his friend Sam home, his friend Sam stated that on the way home, Seth like drove by his street and he stopped and he waited. And police believe this was Seth 
checking his street, checking his home to see if the bodies had been discovered, if police or ambulances were there. They believe that Seth never wanted to be the one to discover his family's bodies. His trial began in May 2004 and Seth pled not guilty. He was innocent. He didn't do it and all the evidence was circumstantial. However, prosecutors believed the evidence was airtight as well as Seth's clear motives for the murders. In the end, the evidence was too strong and Seth Gonzalez was found guilty of murdering his entire family and sentenced to three life sentences without the possibility of parole. His legal team filed multiple appeals, uh, one in 2007, 2018, 2019, 2021, and all of these were dismissed. He is now serving his time as a maximum security inmate at Goulburn Correctional Centre in New South Wales. Now, Seth's family home where the murders took place remained empty for three years. It was eventually sold to a couple, but this couple was not informed about what took place at this home, that an entire family was killed. And this new couple, they were devout Buddhists. So they sought to cancel this contract when they found out about what had taken place, but they actually lost their $80,000 deposit in the process. So $80,000 means that that home was sold for $800,000, but that couple didn't give up. They fought for their deposit back and they eventually did get it back. But this case led to a change in disclosure laws of the real estate industry. Until that time, agents had no obligation to disclose the history of properties they were selling, which isn't that crazy. Now, if you're the type of person who doesn't really care about, you know, how a place makes you feel or what the history is, then I guess it doesn't matter. But a lot of people do. A lot of people worry about vibes of a property. And, you know, I know you're supposed to do your due diligence when you buy a property, but what are you supposed to do? Like every home you look at, you're like, was a family killed in this home? Like, you know, like the agents really should have disclosed it, but now they have to. But the agents who failed to disclose this to that Buddhist couple, they were actually fined $20,000 for failing to disclose the history of um, the home later on. And then a couple of years later in 2005, the home was finally sold for $720,000. So sold for much less because they disclosed it. I mean, that home was definitely worth, you know, a million dollars. Wild case, guys. And it's so sad to see another family ended due to greed and privilege. I mean, obviously there's a lot more to that. We don't know what Seth was going through, but at the end of the day, you don't murder your entire family because of that, you know? Like, it's easy to say, but there are so many, these cases happen a lot. And I wish that people would understand that you can always leave, you know? You don't have to be with your family if you don't feel like they're good for you. And you guys may not agree with me, but just because people are your blood doesn't mean you have to be tortured through them if your mentality is not, you know, in a good place with them. And your parents usually always want what's best for you. But yeah, at the same time, like Seth doesn't seem like this, you know, incredible kid and his parents are so cruel. We don't really know what went on. Imagine they were just like, Seth, just make sure you get good grades. And he was like, I hate you, you know? Anyway... I always find myself asking the question, are we the way we are because of the way our parents raised us or are we just kind of born with this mentality and born with 
who we are supposed to be from the get-go. What do you guys think? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. And I will see you in the next one, guys. Besitos. Bye.